But it's great to be here, really is great to be here. Heard a lot about Limbap just through the years as I've passed by this neck of the woods uh, here in the UK, and it's just great to be with you. So um, I just want to share, if you want to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in a couple of weeks' time we're going to be celebrating, of course, the, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I really want to share today something of the power of the cross to encourage us all in our work of mission, as you're looking towards Alpha, as we're looking towards all that God is doing here in, in your church and through your church, I want to encourage you. God is doing amazing things in the UK today, all over England. How many of you are, are sensing, you know, good prayerful people, how many folks are sensing that things are changing in the UK today? It's like there is a, there's like a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit blowing in our land. Uh, really, you know, about, up to about two, three years ago, the number of missions directly as kind of like also actually doing missions in, in the UK, you could really count them on, on one hand, maybe just two hands. It was just so, so, so little of that kind of thing. We thank God for Alpha and all that God's doing with that. About 60,000 people a year are coming to Christ through Alpha in England. Fabulous. Making a real impact in, in prisons and in many different uh, settings all around the UK. Um, but despite that fact... The, with immigration, with, with death, births, once you add all the figures up, you realize we've got a long way to go. And so, uh, you know, we really just need to keep praying for a real outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You know, on the church, with church being, church, churches being confident in the power of the gospel and getting out to bring Christ out to our neighborhoods, out to our areas. Um, and so about, for me, about two, three years ago, the Holy Spirit said to me, turn your attention back to home. In other words, back to England. We're doing lots of missions overseas. Uh, you know, we've done, I know it's been about 46 nations for myself and our own ministry through the years. Sometimes preaching to crowds up to 300,000 at a time, seeing many, many people come to the Lord. And there are a good number of British evangelists who've been involved doing that kind of stuff. But you know what? God is turning the hearts uh, of many of our missionaries back towards home because there's a conviction God is about to do something new in the UK. Uh, so it's very exciting. I started to share with leaders around the country about the need for churches to come together, work together, and start doing missions again so we can bring Christ out to the people on the streets and in mission services, all, all manner of ways. And I um, started to find there was a real change of heart. And all over, leaders saying, yes, let's do this. Uh, and as a result, we've just been seeing thousands come to Christ in the UK over the last few years. Um, and so it's an exciting time to be alive in England. It's great to be hearing, you know, really for many, t well, for me, I've been full-time for nearly 30 years uh, in evangelism. And, and I would say that in the last two years has been the first time that uh, it has become less and less common to hear Christians in England saying, why does God do miracles in uh, South America or Africa, but doesn't do them in England? There's a greater expectation for miracles in the UK today. And there are many people who are being healed on our streets, many people being healed in our churches. There really is a, a gradual rise and increase of the work of the Holy Spirit, you know, across the UK. And so there's lots to celebrate. And, um, so it's just a privilege to be here and to be sharing with you. Can I just say, um, just on your way out on the, on the table where I was told where you have your leaflets, um, uh, we just put out a couple of leaflets. One that is on June the 17th, we have a conference. It's just a day conference in Grantham. And so if you want to join us, our team will be leading a conference called Signs, Wonders, and the Power of the Gospel. 
We really do believe that, uh, that miracles are part and parcel of the ministry of the gospel. We certainly see it in the gospels themselves under Jesus' ministry. We see it in the book of Acts. And, um, you know, the reality is that church history tells us and all that God is doing around the world today tells us that miracles are normal to Christianity. If you took miracles out of Christianity, you just wouldn't even have a gospel, would you? So, uh, so you know, thank God it's totally normal. And uh, But, you know, it's to help us to raise our expectation. It'll be a great evening. Uh, not a great evening. The churches of Grantham coming together for a healing outreach event there. But it'll be a great day as well of equipping. So please join us. If you're interested to know more about our own ministry, we have a little leaflet called Who's Missing? You can see there it's done like a, uh, you know, like a puzzle there with puzzle pieces and there's, there's a, a bit missing there which is supposed to be you. And so uh, when you look at that, it's really if you want to pray for us, uh, if you want to give to the ministry, if you're interested in using some of your holiday time to go on a short-term mission, or you like a bit of training, or you'd like to get involved in short-term missions, you also can sign up with that. Uh, for me personally, all those pictures are taken from one year of ministry. And uh, you'll see all kinds of pictures of crowds of various sizes, personal encounters. Brings back lots of memories to me. That one up there in that corner, I remember that. That was in Rwanda in East Africa. And uh, I know where she is, you won't, you won't be able to see. But just down there on the corner of the platform, I remember there was a woman who'd been bitten by a puff adder. Lots of people get bitten by very venomous snakes in Africa. And uh, she'd responded to give her life to Christ. I knew nothing about her condition, but as I stood up to pray, we always lead people to the Lord first, and then after that, we, we pray for their various needs, and very often, there's lots of healing needs. And so, um, the Lord suddenly spoke to me and said, there's a woman here who was gardening, and as she was gardening, she got bitten by a puff adder, and her left arm is paralyzed. And so, I just spoke it out, um, and she responded. And we prayed for her. And right there and then, the power of God came on her. And that arm was completely restored to freedom of movement and healing as, as Jesus healed her. Just a wonderful time. I remember this one. That's in, in Slovakia. We're about to go there. Do pray for Slovakia. I mean, God's been... I've been going there ever since the wall just came down. When I first went to Slovakia, there's about only 3,000 born-again believers in the whole nation. Um, today, they celebrate... The fact there are about 4 million uh, people who live in Slovakia. And it's just about 1% now are born-again believers. They see that as a magnificent triumph of the gospel from where they were. Um, but uh, anyway, we keep going. And this next week, we're going to do some training and outreach with four of the larger churches in the city of Bratislava. First time they've kind of come together for something like this. So I really value your prayers. But that was in Nitra in Slovakia. Uh, we're out in the park there and preaching on a platform and suddenly the Lord spoke to me about a man who was deaf in his left ear. And, uh, and there were two guys who were sleeping rough. And one of them suddenly waved at me. He said, it's me. Uh, of course, in Slovakia. And, um, and then, anyway, with the help of an interpreter, I realized what he was waving at me for. So then he came forward. And I said to everybody, there were loads of people passing by. So I said, come on, everybody, gather around. Let's see what God will do. And we prayed for this guy in front of everybody. And Jesus opened his ear. Well, when he got healed, he, he looks up at me and he starts saying, you are God, you are God. I said to him, you can be very grateful I'm not. I said, but I, said, but I can tell you this. I said, it is him who's healed you. It's Jesus Christ who's done this for you. And he gave his life to Christ and it led to many others becoming Christians too. Last of all, here's, here's this little one. This is, this is in India. You'll see a very large crowd there in India. This happened two years ago in February. And uh, that particular night, um, three truckloads of Hindu uh, mercenaries, terrorists, turned up to um, to kill me and the team. All turned up with uh, machetes and everything. 
Um, I've found since I've been in Lim, it, it's a very decent place, really, Lim. I, um, you know, I don't tend to preach to many terrorists around Lim, so, um, so a very different sort of place to preach to. Uh, but I'm very grateful to be here to tell you the story. Uh, you know, the Lord delivered us from that situation. And, um, but, you know, I have other great memories of that night, because that night... Um, God did some amazing miracles, and many turned to the Lord, Muslims, Hindus, all kinds. And, and I can remember one of the turning points, particularly. The impact of what Jesus was doing that night was that there was a, a gentleman who had a, a cancerous tumor that stuck out from the side of his neck. He'd been flown in from the Gunter district, which is a very rural area, and flown into Hyderabad to go to the Hyderabad Central Hospital to have the tumor removed. And as he was, uh, got a taxi on his way to the hospital from the airport, he sees our posters everywhere saying, come to the Hyderabad Miracle Festival. And he says to the taxi driver, take me there, I need one of those. He said, one of what? He said, a miracle. <laughs> so he said, take me there. So they drove them up. It's a very, very sandy, large open area by a main road. And uh, as uh, the taxi stopped, he got out, he put his feet on the soil. No one personally prayed for him, laying hands on him or anything. But as his feet touched the soil, we were praying over the crowd that God in his mercy would touch and heal people. And suddenly the power of God fell on this man. He wasn't yet a Christian. But the power of God fell on the man and that tumor disappeared like you stuck a pin in a balloon. And uh, we were there long enough. He went into the hospital, had fresh MRIs taken, everything else. They couldn't find a trace of the cancer. Medically confirmed, healed, everything. You know, the cancel operation, uh, wonderful. You know, and so as a result of it, many came to Christ. We just thank God. Jesus Christ really is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think no wonder Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God to save people. And that word save, a lot of times we, we use it in our own preaching most of the time just to, just to mean the forgiveness of sins. And when I say just, we shouldn't just say just, really. It's the greatest miracle that can happen to a human being to be forgiven of our sins and to receive the gift of eternal life. You know, thank God for that. Lives are being changed all over the world. About 300,000 a day are coming to Christ all around the world today. Just amazing things that God is doing. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus yourself yet today, you're in the right place. I pray that you yourself will leave this place today knowing the joy of forgiveness, knowing the certainty of eternal life. So um, maybe we could just pray to that effect for a moment before we actually get into the Word. Father, we thank you so much for your presence amongst us today. Thank you, Lord, for the joy we've experienced and the presence of God we've, we've met and encountered as we worship you, Lord. We thank you that you are always faithful to inhabit our praise. And every time we gather together, you're right here. You're with us. You're faithful. And I do pray today that you will encourage every one of our hearts. I pray, Father, that you will touch and bring healing to those who, who need it, who are reaching out to you for that. I pray for those who are troubled in mind or in, or, or in their soul in some way. Troubled, Father, in their marriage, their family or some other situation. That you would bring peace that you would bring an answer to their heart, an answer to that condition. Father, that you would bring reconciliation and grace into the midst of families to restore and set free. Break the chains of depression and anxiety. Lord, break the power of addictions in people's lives. Lord, that they would come to know truly that he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Thank you that we can come to you today with confidence because you love each of us and you've made the way whereby we can come and experience the saving life-changing grace of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 together, shall we? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm reading to you from verse 18 to 24. This is out of the New King James Bible. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe or the lawyer or debater? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its own wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Amen. It's a powerful, powerful passage. And it's, uh, it's interesting that Paul refers to the Jews and also the Greeks. Why does he refer to these two different groups of people in reference to the preaching of the cross? Well, in many ways, because the very stumbling blocks that they had in their own thinking concerning the need of being saved or coming to God through Christ are exactly the very same stumbling blocks that many people experience in their life today. The Jews very often stumble in coming to Christ because of confidence in their own self-righteousness. I can be honest with you, I, I love to preach in prisons. Because if you preach in a prison, they are the easiest bunch in the world to preach the gospel to. You know why? They all know they've done something wrong. <laughs> they all know they need forgiveness. It's obvious. But there are many people who are not behind a practical physical bars. But they live spiritually, internally, behind prison bars that are in their own soul, that are in their own heart. But often never get free from that because they are confident somehow in their own self-righteousness. They think they're okay, that they've never done anything wrong. You know, it's amazing. Some of you who would have been around maybe on Friday night would have heard me sharing the testimony of, you know, I, I've had the privilege of leading mafia men to Christ and, and Islamic terrorists and people like that. But, you know, the reality is that's not the majority of people we, we get to lead to Christ. But, you know, um, we find many, many people, and I'm sure there's many people like this in Lim. Certainly where I grew up, I grew up in Stockbroker Belt in Cheam in Surrey. And I can remember doing a, a mission outreach, and we were, as part of it, we were out on the streets down in Sutton. And, um, and as we were on the streets, I just finished talking to a guy who had, had a very rough life, and... Um, and when I finished sharing with him, the man gave his life to Christ. We prayed for him. You know, it was a wonderful encounter with the Lord. But as I finished with this gentleman, I noticed there's a very smart guy standing wearing a sort of Armani suit, his three-piece suit. He was standing close by, over, overhearing and listening, eavesdropping on my conversation. He suddenly stepped up to me, and he said to me, Jonathan, I've been listening to you. I said, okay. And so he says to me, um, I want you to know something, that I'm a very decent man. I said, I'm glad to hear it, sir. 
And he says to me, I want you to know, he says that I, I, I've, I've always been faithful to my wife. I have a great marriage. I have a, you know, wonderful children, a great job. He said, I've always paid my taxes and I need no forgiveness. <laughs> so I stepped back from him. I said, well, sir. Well, I must say, uh, it'd be great to shake your hand. It's very rare that I meet a perfect man. You know, I, I said, the only other one I've ever met is Jesus Christ. You know, I said, but um, anyway, but great to meet you today. Very inspiring. Um, I said, look, obviously you don't feel you have any need to give your life to Christ, so, so you don't really want to talk to me about anything to do with that. But, um, but just before you leave, just uh, as you go on your way, maybe I could just drop some thoughts into your mind as you go away, just to think about. So the Bible tells us that the law of God was given to expose our need of him, to expose our sin, the nature of, of sin in our hearts. And we've all sinned, the Bible says, you know. And um, so I said, forget the first one for a moment that's in Exodus 20. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. I said, because nobody does that perfectly. Every day, every day, people need forgiveness. Because there are sins of commission, the sins of omission, which are the things we know we should do, but don't do it. I said, so the reality is, everybody needs forgiveness. But let's just move on from that one for a moment. I said, here's just a few, just to think about. I said, number one, the the scripture says that you shall not murder. He said, I want you to know I've never murdered anybody. I said, I'm so glad to hear it, sir. I said, however, Jesus said that if you hate somebody, you've already murdered them. I said, has anybody ever cut you up as you're going round and round about? And perhaps something just slipped out of your mouth or... Maybe that business partner who diddled you out of that promotion or that, you know, that extra bit of finance or whatever. Has it ever been through something like that? And you kind of seethed with anger on the inside? He said, well, well. I said, Let, let's just move on. I won't be too heavy. Huh? I said, you know, how about this one? Um, Jesus said you should not commit adultery. He said, I want you to know I've always been faithful to my wife. I said, I'm so glad to hear that. That's great. And he said, but Jesus said that if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So, um, just by any chance, maybe. You ever done that? So it probably means that every man who's ever lived has probably committed adultery, at least in their heart. At which point, it, well, 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 well um, um, started to look rather uncomfortable. He said, well, well, haven't we all? I said, right, okay, let's just move on for a minute. Um, I said, I don't want to be too heavy on you today as you're, you're going about your, your life, your business, but just one more. He, he, he said, you know, that the Lord will not hold guiltless the person who who uses his name in vain. I said, have you ever said, oh my? Yes, I said, so, so all right, well, let's, just, let's not go any further, but, but just as you go on your way, just think about this for a moment. You've just admitted to me freely that you're actually a blasphemous, adulterous murderer. Do you think that you might need forgiveness now? <laughs> you know? Well, I don't normally talk to people like that. We just normally begin with the good news, but, but this is the point. The point is, the Bible's testimony is that no one is righteous, no, not one. And that's why we need this very first thing. I want to share with us briefly this morning about four things that God has done for us through his son Jesus on the cross. Now, there's more than that, but here are just four. And this is the very first one. That actually, God in his son Jesus, God became a man in Christ. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that amazing grace? That God is transforming people's lives like that. I can remember us having the privilege of leading an Islamic terrorist to the Lord out in the Philippine Islands. He'd killed hundreds of people. And that night, the glory of God just hit over 20,000 people 
out in uh, Mindanao, right in the, the Muslim-dominated area. 20,000 people came. Miracles started to break out. Many turned to Christ, and amongst them was Johnny Hitman, and he was called that for a reason. That's what he did for a living. And he had killed hundreds of people, but he heard us preaching the gospel. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away, and all things become new. He gave his life to Christ that night. I had the privilege of baptizing him in water. And as I put him under the water, God gave me a vision. I saw blood coming off his hands. And I said, Lord, what's that? And the Lord said to me, that is the blood of all the lives he's taken. And never again will I require it from him. Do you know today, Johnny is a pastor in the Philippines instead of a terrorist. Giving life instead of taking it. That really is the power of the gospel. You know, I doubt that you've done anything like that. It's possible. But nonetheless... This is the thing. We've all sinned and we all need a savior. How amazing that God has literally taken our sins, placed them on Christ, nailed them to the cross, and it's finished. The price has been paid in full. And because of it, he credits Christ's own righteousness to our account. It's amazing. It's just imagine if you were, you know, maybe if you owed 100,000 pounds and I was a multimillionaire and we just basically exchanged accounts. I took your debt and you took my abundance. That's really what's happened to us in the cross. God declares us not guilty because of Christ's finished work. Amazing. But it's not the only thing. And of course, you know, this is the thing, is that this is why Paul addresses the issue of the Jews. But then he also addresses the issue of the Greeks, the great thinkers, the Platos, the Aristotles of this world. There's many people who have all kinds of arguments in today's world. But, you know, and you know, I had to learn... Uh, I grew up in a school where we were trained to debate. I come from a family of lawyers. I used to love apologetics. And, and when I first started in the gospel, I would love to, you know, go through all the arguments and pull the carpet out from underneath people's feet and all of that kind of thing. Because in the end, the gospel is rational. It's true. It's real. It's accurate. It's historically verifiable. It's sound. However, I found sometimes I was winning arguments and losing souls. Because in the end, if you want to know God, you have to humble yourself as a child. He's not calling you to be childish, but to come with a childlike trust. You know, when I was, uh, you know, with our kids, we've got three boys and um, at home, my, my wife and I. And, you know, when they were much younger, I remember one of our sons, he, um, you know, li- literally, I, I would sometimes be walking around the house and I'd wonder, where is he? Where is he? And I'd be calling out his name and suddenly I would hear somewhere in the distance, Daddy, Daddy! And, I, and, you know, that's the kind of thing that gets your heart going as a dad. And I, I would come round the corner and I would see him at the top of the stairs. And the moment I came round the corner, he'd jump. And he would say, catch me, Dad! I would shut <laughs> You know, I just managed to catch him. I'd say, don't do that to me, you know. But, you know, he just had implicit childlike faith that when he jumped, I would be there. And that's how God wants us to be with him. In fact, he said, unless you humble yourself as a child and be converted, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. And so there has to be this humility coming to the Lord. God's not impressed with our intellectual acumen. You could have the whole alphabet behind your name. But if you don't know him, in the words of Jesus, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? So, let's move on. So, Jesus died for our sins. Secondly, we find this in 1 Peter 2.24, that not only did Jesus bear our sins, but he actually bore our sicknesses and diseases and carried our pains. 
Last night here in Lynn, Jesus was healing the sick. That's very quiet. Does anybody want to say amen? <laughs> you know, I find this is very, this is very typically British. You know, if, I, if I'm in South America or, or Africa and I, and I tell people about America, they all jump up and down and shout. You know, with a lot of British congregations, I tell them a story of, you know, raising the dead or something. They kind of look at me in the toe and goes, not bad, John. You know, not bad. <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, can I just say, you know, Jesus is in the miracle working business. He is. Uh, we've seen him do, do this many times. And this is, not, this is not pointing to ourselves. Can I say this? There is only one healer. His name is Jesus. Amen. There's no minister or any individual human being who's a healer. Jesus is the healer. And thank God he is in the miracle working business. You know, have we seen everybody healed? No, I haven't seen everybody healed. We've, but we've seen many, many people healed. And we thank God for that. And in my own experience, as we rejoice in everything that God does, we experience more. And so we must learn just to celebrate every touch of his hand and everything that he does. And um, last night, there were deaf ears that were opened here in Lynn as we prayed in Jesus' name. There were, uh, you know, back conditions that were healed. There was all kinds, there were short legs that grew. I don't mean two, somebody want to get taller. I mean one shorter than the other, you know. Um, But, you know, God was doing miracles for people. Um, You know, I've experienced miracles. I got healed of malaria. And I thank God for that. And that without medical intervention. Just, I was taking all the tablets. They weren't touching it. Um, you know, the mosquitoes, they just keep reinventing themselves and their resistance to, to all of that stuff. And uh, it could have taken me out, but God healed me. Um, I rejoice in that. Thank God he is a miracle-working God. Amen. I can remember doing a meeting in a place like this, uh, but ju- actually in Cheshire. And I can remember a man, he was an Irish fellow, and he had a really strong Irish accent. And he was sitting in the congregation. And right in the middle of the message, uh, God suddenly spoke to me. So there's a gentleman here who's blind in his right eye. And I'll heal him. Speak it out. You know? And um, so anyway, I decided to stop. It was loud enough on the inside for me to hear it very clearly. So I just stopped and said it. When I said it, suddenly this Irish guy stands up in front of everybody and said, When I came into this service today... <laughs> I said, Lord, if you're in this place, (laughs) stop the preacher and tell him about my eye. He was totally blind in his right eye. We pray for him in Jesus' name. Do you know God instantly opened his eye and he could see perfectly. I mean, just, I mean, mean, he was totally blind in that eye. He freely admitted it. You know, I don't know what it was that caused it, but it happened. And, um, you know, my, the place just came unglued. Jesus just totally... Healed this fellow. Wonderful. You know. And it's great when people celebrate like that. I have other things. I I ministered in a women's aglow service. I don't get to preach in women's aglow very often for obvious reasons. But, um, you know, but down in Surrey where I come from. And uh, it was really the Surrey ladies, women's aglow. And it was a very Surrey ladies event. And I remember at the end of the event being asked to go up and pray to pray for this lady who had gone blind again in her right eye. When I went to her, I could see she was very finely dressed and had her, you know, a little whatever you call them. And um, so she's got this, you know, and she her handbag. She's there with her handbag. And so I go up to her and I said, Madam, how can we help you? She said, um, I, John, I'm blind in my right eye. And he said, uh, but I believe. I said, good, me too, let's pray. Prayed for her. Well, I said to her, I'm going to put my hand on your right eye, then I'm going to move my hand around you like this, and I want you to focus, and as soon as you can see, I want you to tell me. 
So I, I, I just prayed, and then I moved my hand over here, carried on praying. She suddenly says to me straight out, she says, oh, there it is. <laughs> I said, sorry. <laughs> I was expecting it to happen, but just not that quick, you know. And, and she says, so there it is. What's your, I said, I mean, you can see that quickly. Straight away, she says, oh, yes, absolutely. And then, and then she said to me, you know, John, Jesus appeared to me in a dream last night and told me if I came to your meeting, he'd heal me. And he's done it. So there we go. Have a fine day. Picked up the thing and off she walked. <laughs> I mean, it was just, you know, very, very sorry. However, this is my point to you is that Jesus Christ really is in the business of healing today. And in the same way he bore our sins, he bore our sicknesses and diseases. Isaiah prophesied that 600 years before Christ came into the world with piercing accuracy. And Peter looks back on it after. By his wounds we were healed. Healing's being provided for every one of us. And so we can come with faith and confidence today. Let me say thirdly here, that Jesus also brings deliverance to us. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 and 14 tells us that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1, 12 and 14 says that we have been taken out from under the power of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. We've been redeemed by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And you know, sometimes, and, and I know here in Cheshire, you have some of the wealthiest football players, you know, who come and choose to make their home in Cheshire. But you know what? When you think about some of the obscene amounts of money that are paid for the transfer of football players, I wish that the government would pass a law to put a, you know, a cap on it and then put the rest of the money into the NHS or something. Anyway, there we go. Vote Conrad. Um, but, but, you know, can I, I, can I just say that, uh, uh, you know, you couldn't pay the transfer fee for you out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God. You cost too much for that. The Bible says that we were redeemed not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot or wrinkle. And there are many, many people today who need to know not only the redeeming power of God in the forgiveness of sin, but the power of God through the cross that breaks the power of sin in all of its forms to set us free. I want to share you a story that's... uh, it's a sensitive story, but it's a very real story. So, a few years ago, um, I was speaking at a Christian camp in this country, and uh, one of my responsibilities in that camp was to uh, to be part of the leadership of the youth work. And before going in, I'd been asked to speak about the, the covenant of God and the power of the blood of Jesus on one of the sessions to the young people. And I remember that as I was praying, the Holy Spirit gave me a vision. And I saw a young woman who cut her wrists in, in witchcraft, in satanic ritual. And the Lord said to me, that young woman will be in your meeting today. And I want her to know that my blood is more powerful than any blood she has shed in satanic ritual. And I will set her free. This is the reality of what happened. So I preached that day, and then after that, I, um, I gave an appeal. We started to pray for lots of the young people. I spoke briefly about what the Lord had shown me before the service. And this girl comes forward. Now she's all dressed in black. By the way, not all witches go around dressed in black with pointy hats. It would be obvious. <laughs> See who they are. Most of them are not that way at all. 
But she came forward. She's all dressed in black. Her hair is up like this. She's shaved her hair, lost count of all of the, the earrings and the dark makeup, you know, thick black stuff. I don't think God is so bothered with what people wear as he is why they wear what they wear. But nonetheless, she came forward. I noticed that some of the team were praying for her. And as they prayed for her, she began to manifest demons. And she was, she started to scream. She was shaking. She was going all of this quite, um, you know, very obvious stuff from all of her background in witchcraft and the occult. And there was a powerful reaction to the presence of God. But she wasn't getting free. So I thought I'd stick my own oar in. So I walked over there, said to the team, can you just step back for a moment? just want to have a word with her. So, so they stepped back and I waited for her to calm down a moment. And then I just put my hand out and said, hi. And she looked at me with a kind of scowling look. I said, um, now, I'd love to know what your real problem is so I can really help you. I'm here to help you. I said, because your real problem isn't witchcraft. She looked at me rather shocked and then she said, what do you mean? Don't you understand? I've come, I've come straight, she said, from the witch's coven to this place. And I'm a drug addict. I've got heroin on me. I said, don't talk too loud. The police will come down and close everything down. So then she says to me, I, she said, what do you mean witchcraft's not my main problem? I said, listen, that's all surface stuff. The Bible says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So the root of it is never witchcraft by itself. I said, and rebellion often comes from rejection, abuse, pain, all kinds of stuff like that. I said, so what's the real issue? What, I'm interested in what got you into witchcraft in the first place. She looks at me suddenly and then she turns away and she says, I'll never forgive him. I said, who? And she says, my father. She said, all my life till I was 16, 17 years old, he abused me in every way, physically, sexually, in every way. She said, I ran from home as soon as I could. She said, you would say I got in amongst the wrong crowd. I used to get into the parting crowd and late one night on a sort of drunken, drugged up stupor. She said, they took me and they initiated me into the witchcraft group. She said, and I'm now an addict. And she said, I have voices in my head all the time. I live with a, a, a darkness all around me. I said, Jesus will set you free. Jesus can set you free right now, but you need to forgive your dad. So I'll never forgive him. I said, do you know something? It's a horrific thing to be abused. And God is angry about the abuse that you suffered. However, are you going to continue to let what your father did to you hold you in bondage the rest of your life? He could die today, but you'll continue in bondage to what he did to you for the rest of your life. I said, I want to say to you right now that really forgiveness is enlightened self-interest. When Christ died for the sins of the whole world, he died not only for our sins, but for the sins committed against us. I said, can you accept the blood of Jesus as the price paid for your father's abuse against you? Because Christ died for him too. Well, she wouldn't do it there and then, but she would let me pray for her, for God to give her grace to help her. She needed to get saved, of course, but she wouldn't do that there and then either, but she let me at least pray for her. Anyway, that was about three days into a week-long Christian camp. I was also leading worship at the event there. And on the last day, we finished off, and I, I jumped down from the platform. We were packing up all the gear and everything. And as I got down from the platform, here comes this girl to meet me. She's all dressed in colors. Her face is radiant and shining. And so much so, I didn't recognize her. And she comes up to me, and, I, and uh, she said, Hi, John, I wanted to say thank you. I said, oh, what, you enjoyed the worship? She said, yeah, but that's not the point. She said, don't you recognize me? I said, sorry, you, you look vaguely familiar, but I can't quite place you. She says, look, I'm the... Sorry, I was the witch. I said, you, look at you. 
What a transformation. Tell me the story. She says, well, she said, after you prayed for me, some of the girls there, the young girls, they took me into their caravan and, you know, we had some time together and they helped me and we spent a lot longer together and they helped me pray. I received Jesus. She said, it took me 40 minutes every time I said his name. It seemed like I felt like screaming. She said, but, you know, it took me 40 minutes. I eventually managed to to get through praying the prayer of salvation. She said, you know, and then she said, they helped me to speak out forgiveness to my dad. She said, the moment I forgave my father, all the voices in my head stopped. She said, the amazing thing is as well, all the drive for heroin has left me and I've had no side effects. She said, it's amazing. She wrote to me three months later and said, thanks so much, John. She said, life has never been so worth living. That's the power of the gospel to change people's lives. Jesus really does set people free and he wants to set you free this morning too. We're starting to come into land here, you know, and wrap up this message But let me just say that there's one last thing I want to say that through the cross Jesus did for us. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 and 15 says that Jesus became a man like us. He took on human flesh. God became a man in his son Jesus. And he, through his own death, he destroyed him who has the power of death, that is the devil, so that he might release those who all their lifetime were subject to bondage through the fear of death. You know, I think the fear of death is the greatest fear in the human race. People say it is the mother of all fears. Rick Warren, who wrote his amazing book, The Purpose Driven Life, you can get it on Amazon, I recommend it to you. But he says this towards the back of the book, He says, as the pastor of one of the largest churches in America, it's about 29,000 people. He said, as the pastor of one of the largest churches in America, I have been at the bedside of many very famous people, top entrepreneurs and, and, uh, you know, people in the entertainment industry, great sporting heroes. I've been at their bedside in their last moments. He said, no one has at the last moment suddenly turned to me and said, pastor, please, can you check my stocks and shares? No one says, can you go and check my popularity ratings? But everyone says, Pastor, what's going to happen to me? Where am I going? Is everything going to be all right? Please call my family. Suddenly that moment brings sharply into definition what life is truly all about. You know, I like to say to people, I don't know what your timekeeping is like, but there's one appointment that you will never miss. All of us will be there on that day. All of us, when we take our last breath, will face the Lord. Today, are you sure that if you died, you'd go to heaven? Are you sure that your sins are forgiven? For every true Christian, there is a certainty of forgiveness and a certainty of eternal life. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and it's based on the promises of God. Romans 10, 9 and 10 simply says this and with this we close. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. I'm going to pray a prayer now and I invite everybody to pray it with me. I'm going to pray it and leave a space line by line for you to repeat these words. I encourage you to pray them and to mean them. God is here. He will hear your prayer and he will answer it. If you've never given your life to Christ, you're not sure of heaven, 
You're not sure your sins are forgiven. Pray this prayer and mean it in your heart. Christ will come into your life today. You will know forgiveness and start a meaningful and eternal relationship with God. If you've backslidden and gone away from God, use the prayer to come back to him and everybody else. Pray it to support those who need to for a first time or a recommitment. Can we just bow our heads and close our eyes in respect of God? Let's just say this to the Lord together. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that you love me, that you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I believe it. I believe in you. And I ask you to forgive my sins, to come into my heart, to be my Savior, to be my Lord. I turn away from my sins. I give my whole life to you and I acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. I decide today to follow you and I will love and serve you as long as I live. Thank you for a new life. Thank you for a new beginning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now without anybody else looking around at this moment, you know Jesus said if you confess me before people, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you don't confess me before people, neither will I confess you before the Father. When you read the Bible, you see that every person Christ ever called, he called them publicly. When he died on a cross, he died publicly. And even after his resurrection, he appeared to many witnesses. And he calls you and I to own him publicly as Lord and Savior. He's calling you publicly today. So I'm going to ask you right now that if you prayed that prayer for a first time or as a recommitment to Jesus Christ, I'm going to count down to three. When I get to the number three, if you prayed that to give your life to Jesus for a first time or a recommitment to Christ, that's your signal to raise your hand up here in the presence of God and say, yes, I'm giving my life to the Lord. This is your moment. Are you ready? Here we go. One, two, three. If you pray that for a first time or a recommitment, put your hand up right now. Uh, we're going to pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? You're saying yes to Jesus for a first time? God bless you, madam. Or is a recommitment of your life to Christ? You're not sure and you want to make sure. Don't be afraid. Stick your hand right up. God bless you, sir. Always consider, God bless you, madam. Always consider this. Is this the right decision I am making? Think about it this way. If it's the last time you ever hear the gospel, are you making the right choice? Billy Graham used to say there is, you can go to any graveyard in this country and find a gravestone with somebody the same age as you. It's vital that when we hear the gospel, we respond. Not to respond is to respond. Is there anybody else who's saying yes to Jesus for a first time or a recommitment to Christ, just join these others and raise your hand quickly before we pray. Be delighted to pray for you. Thank you, Father. Okay. I'm going to ask us all to stand together in the presence of God, please. And I'm going to ask that if you raised your hand, you know that you should have done, that you would leave your seat and come and join me right now at the front where we're going to pray for you. Just take your courage in your hands. Don't worry about what anybody else is doing. Just come. If you raised your hand and you know that you should have done, just come in Jesus' name. Just come right now. Madam, sir, others here who raised your hand, just come. Don't be afraid. Ask the people either side of you if they'll make room for you. If you need to, just come into the aisles. Step out in the aisles and just come. God bless you. We'll just wait on you now.
Just come. God bless us to come. It takes courage to do this. Well done. Bless you. Amen. Okay. Come on here. There's at least about another four or five of you who raised your hands. Just come. Go through it all the way right now. And we'll be delighted just to pray for you here. Anybody else? You raised your hand. You know you should have done. Just come. Just come. Thank you, Lord. Real honor to pray for you. God bless you as you come. Thank you, sir. Thank you, madam. Bless you. That's great. You'll never regret that decision. Bless you, man. That's fabulous. Do you know something? You know, we've seen through the years, hundreds of thousands of people give their lives to Christ. I've never met anyone who's ever regretted giving their life to Jesus. I've only ever found people who've regretted that they didn't do it sooner. And so if that's you, maybe you'd like just to come quickly. Can we just stretch out a hand maybe and pray for these lovely folks who have just given their life to the Lord? I know that for some of you, this is a recommitment of your life to the Lord. Maybe for all of you. Maybe for some here, it's the first time. But we're just going to pray for you and bless you now. And this gentleman here. Father, we thank you for each and every one who's responded to you this morning. I pray in the name of Jesus that by your Holy Spirit, that you would do a deep work in their hearts and their lives, that they would know certainly that they are forgiven, that they are children of God, that heaven is their eternal home. Father, break off from them every bondage, everything that's been holding them back in their walk with you. I pray that from this moment that they would know a certainty of forgiveness, a certainty of heaven. Father God, I pray that they would grow on with you from this moment and they'd become great servants of God, great men and women of God. Father, that you would take hold of their lives and Lord, cause them to grow stronger and stronger in you. We just bless them, each one of them in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. We receive them into your family and thank you for your great plans for their lives. Thank you. You'll never leave them or forsake them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Guys, I wonder if you could just take a seat down here and, and I'm going to ask, I, I need a, a few more ladies just to come and to pray with these ladies and I need a gentleman to pray with this gentleman. That would be great. God bless you. We're just going to close with uh, some worship. Just going to hand back to Jonathan here. Um, but just to say that uh, if you need healing tonight, I just know in my heart that there are people here this morning who need God to bring healing to them in their bodies in one area or another. There are some of you who are not yet what the Bible calls baptized in the Holy Spirit. By that I don't mean baptism in water. I'm talking about receiving the empowering of the Holy Spirit to be a witness for Christ and, and, and the gifts of the Spirit that go with it, such as tongues. I believe that God wants to release you in the power of God in your life. It really is for every believer. And if you want that, we'd be delighted to pray for you. Um, so please do come forward as John leads us in some worship here. Do I just remind tonight at 5 o'clock also at Life Church, being held at the URC building. Uh, we're going to be there tonight again. It's a, it's a healing outreach service. Come and join us. Uh, if you're not doing something else here, of course. But uh, you'll be most welcome. But bless you. Thanks so much for the opportunity to share with you today. I uh, trust it's been a blessing and encouragement. God bless you now. Feel free to come if you need prayer.